0: <laughs> uh do you do you remember the first stephen king adaptation that you saw
1: oh man that's a good question uh yeah i think it might have been um stand by me um because i saw that when it not in theaters but when it first came to hbo mm. um yeah i I watch i watched that when it first aired on hbo and so that would have been before the running man um which is an adaptation in the loosest of senses but like (laughs) still counts just like
0: like lawnmower man it's just like it's by name (laughs) only yeah
1: (laughs) um yeah yeah so that would have been that would have been the first one as for like the horror ones um yeah, maybe Pet Cemetery.
0: Were you were you aware of like Stephen King, the writer, at the time when you saw these things, or did that come about later as you got older?
1: That came about uh, when the pet when the movie Pet Cemetery came out. Uh, when I was first starting to get more interested in in movies like that, because when I first saw stand by me in 86 87 whenever it was i didn't really know who stephen king was or would even necessarily have context but by the time pet cemetery did especially because of how heavily advertised it was as <laughs> stephen king's pet cemetery um then then t- uh, uh, totally i became more aware of of who he was, at least in the sense that he's, he's a horror novelist. And this is, is, is based on that. Um, I, it was the early nineties when I really started like, uh, a lot of horror movies in general it was a very, very early nineties where I really started watching a lot of his, uh, adaptations, but same way with like slasher movies and about any other genre of horror. <laughs> <laughs> when I hit about 10.
0: Uh, When we first started batting this around, you were like, I could talk about King for hours, but what is it about King that that draws you in?
1: Uh, He was the first uh, author I really, really started to to get into. Um, When I was in fifth grade, and I went to a religious school, and the big thing around that time for like our class was rl stein and i never really read that much of his but Mm -hmm. uh a few not a lot just just a few um but i went to a religious school so when we were able to like order books to read and things like that they forbid us from um ordering rl stein And that made me kind of like with movies as well. That made me really kind of relish in the fact that like they're talking about boycotting R.L. Stein, but I'm allowed to read Stephen King. (laughs) My parents are letting me read Stephen King. So I would like really take advantage of like having really, really cool parents like that. And I was in sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade, and was reading uh, Christine. Then I read Misery. Then I read uh, um, Carrie. And then so on and so on uh, after that. He was, he's really about the only author where I actually really have read a lot because I'm not much of a reader. Um, <laughs> I'm a very slow reader. Uh, I'm a very slow reader. My attention can kind of wander. It can take me a long time <laughs> to get through. It can take me, I'm ADD as hell. So it can take me a long time to get through a, a book, but I always appreciated the fact that Stephen King could always hold my attention. Um, and it was always his, uh, dialogue. Um, cause in, when I write stuff myself, I love writing dialogue. And mm-hmm. I think about the earliest I can think of to where I really, really started appreciating dialogue in the written form was reading, stephen king um mm-hmm. i think i like the first book i read was was the first book i read by stephen king was pet cemetery so i would always look forward to it whenever like a new adaptation came out whenever one of the books would come out um it's just very nostalgic for me which is perfect because stephen King's a very nostalgic author <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's interesting you say that it's the dialogue because that's that's something that always drew me into his short stories, like especially when it's just two characters just conversing, like uh, yeah. like the Boogeyman. You just have this one neurotic, scared guy on a on a therapist couch, and just the mm-hmm. way he talks, he's completely unlikable, but he is your main character for the whole thing. But how King keeps up the energy of that neuroticism all throughout that story, and you just hate the guy, but at the same time, you're like, I don't really. I, I pity him in a way, you know, he lost his, he lost three kids to the boogeyman and now he's just this, this mess. And you're just kind of like, how do you manage to to make a guy totally unlikable? But at the same time, I feel so fucking sorry for him. And that's something that not a lot of authors can do. But King just has this way of making even the most irredeemable person still kind of just, you just kind of get attached to him in some way.
1: Oh yeah, he is great at having like the kind of drunken older dude give exposition. Like <laughs> you kind of like pet cemetery where they're sitting on the porch drinking and he's talking about the pet cemetery or Christine when Dennis is drinking with Levey and he's telling him about this car. Um you're reading it going like I feel like like this is this is all really important information, but I'm like, man, I feel like I could just kind of read these two guys just talking them and shooting the shit for a while. <laughs> <laughs> like let's let's get them another six pack. <laughs> uh,
0: when you when you watch uh, the original Pet Cemetery uh, and compare it to the new one, and then comparing it to uh, the book, do you feel that King's works work better as? written fiction as compared to adaptations
1: it depends on who's doing it like the best king adaptations for me are the ones that they realize what works on the page and would maybe not translate that well into a visual medium um Mm. because you can see a lot of his adaptations where uh And I'm sure this will come up later, like with some of the entries that we we have um, on our picks. But you see the ones that are very, 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 very much like the source material that can almost be that that can be kind of a negative a little bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it the more serious
1: that a director takes it? Yes. Yeah. Where uh, you go, maybe this should have been cut out. Maybe this should have been just edited and presented in a different way. Um, When you look at John Carpenter's Christine, John Carpenter is smart enough not to have (laughs) the scene in there where Christine goes driving through the man's house and chases him up the stairs Mm -hmm. (laughs) the way that they redo that in the movie where he's crushed in the front seat is way better um so no you can absolutely uh adapt king and do a great job it's it's not really it's it's not a sense that they're unadaptable it's just i think like a lot of adaptations it you got, you got to do a really good job of giving not just your own voice to it, but when you know movies that well, which a lot of the directors of his best adaptations do, they know what to emphasize and they know what to like, you know what, let's just leave that in the book. Mm-hmm. I think that what works best for me and his, his works is
0: there's always a sense that you've never truly won. Or the main yeah. character has never truly won something. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always loved about horror all, growing up is that i I hate an absolutely happy ending where sure. there seems like there were no stakes. if uh-huh. If the main character has lost something major but still come out on top, that that works more for me than just a invincible hero makes all the way through the end. that's yeah. what that's what works the best about uh, the end of the original Elm Street. Is oh, because yeah. you just realize that you can't beat this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think you won, but yeah, it's just. I know, I know, it's sequel bait. I don't know if Wes Craven uh, intended that or not, but still, it's just like, well, fuck, you really can't get away from this guy, can you? And that's just like the end of Pet Cemetery, the original Pet Cemetery. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, it's a departure somewhat from the end of the book, but that that final audio is just like yeah that's that's the way i would want it to end
1: <laughs> yeah uh-huh it's the way that makes the most sense no totally and king has such a great way of writing and really really world building i think world building is really the key to it when mm-hmm. you're reading it yes he is giving you this entire universe like he is just painting a perfect portrait of what these characters are the world they live in what this thing is And what it's capable of. He is great at building up that society in that world enough to where when you're reading it, the crazy things that happen in that book, when taken out of context, will read extremely weird. And they are like even in Mm -hmm. context weird, Mm -hmm. but like he's such a good job of painting a picture of it that you go along with it and you're, you're buying all you're buying the reason why a lot of these things are, are happening. And in movies, when you kind of, when you, when you take out that voice or or when you take out the written word and you're just uh, seeing it in what is always just a, a shortened version of the book, um it, it it will come across like if you were to just to read something out of context <laughs>
0: yeah <clears throat> yeah with it uh the part that i go back when i reread the book every couple years the part i always reread to myself over and over is mike hamlin's father's backstory from oh, yeah, yeah. being in the army the black spot uh and then to that uh And also a part of Mike Hamlin's story is the the recounting of the shooting on Main Street or Uh whatever it was. It's just because those are the, I think those are the best written world building parts of the book. And if you take them out, if you completely took those out of the book, they wouldn't affect the overall story. But they're such well told tales that you're just kind of like, why haven't these parts made it into the adaptations? Which is what annoyed me the most about the the two new It films because they just gutted Mike Hamlin. And his backstory oh, no. just got got rid of all of that and gave him made him a, a total nothing character.
1: Oh, dude, they, they didn't get rid of his backstory. They just gave it to another
2: character.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that and they gave him the most stereotypical African-American just backstory that they could. Just boy lives <laughs> with grandparents. Like, you gotta be fucking kidding me.
1: But then in part two, in part two, it it's bizarre because they they gave away his backstory the fact that he was so interested in the town and the town's history they gave to another character but Mm -hmm. in part two they still gave it back to mike or they still had mike be the be the one who was like the town historian and everything i'm like This is well. I guess at least you gave that story back to Mike, but now it's just weird that it started out with another character in part one. (laughs) (laughs) That
0: it 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 didn't need to be the mess that it was. I mean, from a visual standpoint, it's a nice film, but as an adaptation, it's just a train wreck when you get to part two.
1: (laughs) And part two, I I liked that. Pennywise was given a lot more To do in part two As it mm-hmm. opposed to in part One where he's just a jump scare machine Yeah um, In that I, I came away from part two thinking A lot about that where I was like okay I like that they actually gave him A, not, a lot to chew on here In the in part one the, we, we talked about This last week where uh, the sewer Scene where it's like okay What idiot is going to go up to that cracked out looking thing in the sewer and start talking to it in part two, when he's like under the bleachers talking to the girl, I was like, okay, that I buy. I buy this more than I do what they did with Georgie in part one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It, It works. The whole Georgie thing works in the books because Pennywise just looks like a cross between Bozo and Ronald McDonald and there's the smell of the popcorn and there's there, there's actually things that are enticing about pennywise yeah. in the book but when they go for that when they go for more of a very surface level scary clown they strip away all that stuff that made pennywise alluring and a and a spectacular killer is they just want no we just want we just want uh, spencer level scary clown <laughs> and yeah. none of the psychological stuff just it strip that all that out.
1: Yeah, that was totally disappointing. I mean, I mean, overall, like, there's a lot I liked about both of those movies. Mm. Um, but there's things where I'm like, yeah, the one from 1990 did certain things a lot better.
0: <laughs> With the limitations that it had and, and Tommy yeah. Wallace kind of just like... Eh, 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 meh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like it's, it's fine for what it is. It does so many things so well that I can mm-hmm. overlook the ending... And oh yeah most of most of the grown up stuff. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> um <laughs>
1: when they when they write Harry Anderson is the world's worst stand-up comedian. <laughs> I
2: like, just flew in
1: a boy are my arms tired.
0: <laughs> like how could a yuck-yuck comedian even be successful in the eighties?
1: Yeah. Like um, if he
0: had been a shock jock or something, or maybe a <laughs> raunchy stand, like a Sam Kennison type stand-up comedian, that would have yeah. flown. But not this very tepid PG kind of guy.
1: Yeah, that was something where I thought the re, I thought the remake did that better. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, Bill Hader. The, yeah, he's certainly believable as this stand-up comedian. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: I wish they
0: explored that the quote-unquote dark secret that Bill Hader had. And that I mean, we all knew what it was, but they just kind of yeah. dropped that. I mean, and and also when you think about it, like, okay, this is supposed to be taking place closer to present day, would that be a would that be a dark secret really now? <sighs> I
1: if you grew up, then Yeah. Um I mean there wouldn't be necessarily like uh the ostracization that would have been from the eighties, at least to the extent that it was in the 1980s. But given Mm -hmm. the fact that that, that is when he grew up and he kind of still has that in his head. And even uh, when he was, he was bullied about it too. Mm -hmm. I can psychologically, I can, it's not, it wasn't unrealistic for me that he still kind of has those, demons from growing up in the 80s and the, the vibe being sort of what it was back then um but you're right in that i left the movie going like well they didn't really explore much of that really like i'll say this like better better than when disney tries doing
0: it oh god let's make something that's completely throwaway and easily editable out and uh let's Let's promote the hell out of it and then let a lot of people be completely disappointed that we didn't follow through. <laughs> Let's hedge those bets, the safest bets possible.
1: Okay. okay, this is a side note, but when we were at freaking Rise of Skywalker and the kiss <laughs> happens in it, I didn't see it because I looked away to grab my soda. I leaned back. Laura leans over to me and goes, did you see it? And I go, what? And she goes, I guess it's the first uh, gay kiss in a a Star Wars movie. I go, no. Oh, must have been really. I I missed it just from turning to get a drink.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we don't know the characters' names. We got no backstory on them. They just show up. It was just like two random lesbian cosplayers showed up on set and just got in camera shot. (laughs)
1: god i hate that movie <laughs> i'm like you know what take all the negative things i said about the new it away like that's one of the best movies of the
2: year
0: <laughs> compared compared to like the, the the corporate meddling train wreck that was Rise of scott well almost everything from new star wars is a train wreck just because i used to be such a huge hardcore star wars fan but yeah i'm just uh-huh. like you can't make them you can't remake a movie in the last six months of the movie's life cycle before it hits the theaters. That never ends up good.
1: God. Oh, oh yeah, I could. I got to stop myself because I can go
2: wild talking about it. I just I feel sorry the for sky. the
0: editors and the effects people and the sound technicians. are all just like, we got to do what and how much time?
1: Yeah, I dude, when Cats came out the same weekend and everyone's taking a shit on Cats, I'm going, why are you shitting on Cats? Rise of Skywalker's right there. Like, at least <laughs> Cats tried. <laughs> cats is way more artistic <laughs> and has more artistic merit.
0: <laughs> well, now that we hit the point where we had to bring up Cats, now we should move on to our fucking top
1: five. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> right, I gotta wash right, that out of that right you are cuz i'm wondering if your number 5 is the same as mine <laughs> oh
0: I, I doubt it uh if you want you can go first you're my guest you you oh. what is your number 5
1: cat's eye really uh, <laughs> yeah cat's eye which is two of the because th- the third one in it is like an original work but quitter zinc mm-hmm. and the ledge are from uh, night shift yeah. um i love as a cat person I love Cat's Eye because I... You see, cats are often portrayed in movies as assholes, which, fine. Like, you know, cats can play... Cats are instigators. Cats can can certainly play assholes very, very well. But I like that Cat's Eye is almost a horror that darn cat in the... Mm -hmm. Well, DC is in That Darn Cat a lot more. But both of them have very heroic cats as their leads. Now, the first two segments in it, I love in and of themselves. Uh, James Woods is great in Quitter's Inc. Um, mm-hmm. The ledge is incredibly suspenseful. What I love about the third part is you really do kind of get to see this like heroic adventure kind of action movie with this cat. And when it has that shot near the end where you think this twist is going to happen where, oh, is the cat going to end up like taking her soul or something like that? And no, it doesn't do that. It looks like it's about to, but then it doesn't. And the cat lays with her and it's this really bittersweet moment and... As a cat person, that part certainly sticks with me because the because mo- it does make the movie and that third part in general really just a, a love letter to having a cat.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: it's I, it's a scary movie. It's a funny movie, and by the end, I think it's a very sweet movie.
0: It quitters, uh, I haven't watched Cat's Eye in a long time, but I remember reading. Quitters Inc. And I know they torture Woods's wife as part oh, of the, yeah. the program. But yeah. do they ever, I think in the book, they threaten his uh, mentally challenged son. But I don't know if that is part of the film.
1: No. In the okay. movie, uh, they put his wife in there and start yeah. shocking her. And then it ends with a friend of his, Showing that, implying that they took the finger of like mm-hmm. his friends, his friend's wife. Yep. Uh, they didn't. Uh, I don't think they really even got into the kids that much in in the movie. But I like. Uh, I mean, Woods is is great in that, and mm-hmm. especially when like he's going through the withdrawals, and as a smoker, Woods. Like, I'm watching it going, Woods is nailing it. Um, (laughs) Woods is nailing, like, the shakes, the twitches, the when he's at the party and the one guy's got, like, a thousand cigarettes in his mouth. And it's this, like, hallucination that he's having. And the... uh, uh, His temperament changing and him kind of being a lot more irritable. Uh, Yeah, there's... There's plenty I love about about that movie,
0: and not to mention the the creature effects. Even though there's, it's very small for what it is. I mean, yeah, that's, that little I I can't remember if they gave him a if he had a name, but I always just thought of him as a goblin every time I saw him when I was a kid. That's all I could really think of.
1: Same, yeah, I just always thought of him as like the goblin. Yeah, the, <laughs> it's a nasty yeah.
0: little motherfucker. <laughs>
1: I know like no the what they do with the uh, a lot of shots where he's he's there and they kind of superimpose him over like close up mm-hmm. footage very more no they 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 made it work
0: uh for for nine, my number five is uh is maximum overdrive, which <laughs> nice. is uh, adapted from adapted from trucks and yeah. <laughs> the reasons I like this film are so fucking shallow.
2: Mm-hmm. One
0: because it's got A C D C in it. And yeah. me being a Southern redneck, it's A C D C is like you could put that on anything and we would go buy it. That's how mm. <laughs> that's how basic a Southern Rednecks are.
2: <laughs> and
0: it is one of those king films that does not care who it inflicts violence on. Yeah. You see a kid get run over by a steamroller, you see a guy get fucking almost lobotomized by a Coke can everybody is fair game and when when you have a King film that goes balls out with that, I think it's great because you, you don't know who's safe. You don't know if your hero's safe, you don't know if the heroine's safe, you don't know if like the, the sympathetic couple are safe. Everyone yeah. is, is fair game, but where why Maximum Overdrive is number five is because it doesn't end on the sour note that the book did, where mm-hmm. the lead has this vision of the future where the trucks are just creating themselves and all humans are there for it are to pump gas. In the end it ends with a typical Hollywood ending where the truck goes out in flames and then you get that text crawl at the end that uh, a UFO smashed into a, a Soviet fucking satellite or something. Just, just something that kind of like just a very uh, punch out ending. but. Yeah. There, there's so much fun to be had with all the characters. Emilio Estevez is is not hammy, but at the same time he kind of is. But then he's playing off such great other characters. These these kind of like king over the top. You can't wait to see them die in a horrible fashion, sort of way. Um, and that's just that's like I said, very shallow reasons for loving that film.
1: And it's king at most coked out too <laughs> like it's great because there's little things about it that make me love it too like you're saying one of which is just that trailer alone where it's stephen <laughs> king talking to the camera going my name's stephen king and i'm gonna scare the hell out of you like <laughs> um just like glassy-eyed and everything like yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a movie there where there's a lot to love just for its existence alone. <laughs> I think it's
0: got one of his best cameos too, because he's got that odd face and they put it in that fisheye lens. And just oh, like, the yeah. ATM told me to fuck off.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> he's just so dopey looking. It's just it's it's great because you can't take that movie seriously. That's when those kind of cameos work, like the cameo in. Um, in Pet Cemetery, it's like okay, yeah, that's King, all right. But when you get him like full, like right in frame, just being just this fucking goofy ass motherfucker, that's that's what I, I that's what I really love, King,
1: Jordy Verrill. Um... Yeah.
0: What. Well, <laughs> That wasn't so much a cameo as he got a whole goddamn story yeah. to
1: himself. <laughs> he had his own thing. He was good in that too. Like he had, he had the comic timing down in that section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love him in that. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, uh, yeah, there are those cameos where uh, it's it's like, well, I guess we're doing this now. Um, but then there's <laughs> ones where it. Honestly, I'll say that, that about his cameo in. Uh, it chapter two i liked his cameo in that Mm -hmm. where it's certainly drawing attention to the fact that that's stephen king but they gave him a lot to work with and some funny lines and it it, yeah it's there to be meta certainly but i did still feel at least like i'm watching a character (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) not just walking watching someone just came on set for a day and just read a line and walked off
1: yeah yeah it made me remember that like when you give him some really good lines he can be really funny in mm-hmm. in, in movies um again prime example of a creep show yep um my uh what are we are number four yeah number four all right i book Cujo. why Cujo? <laughs>
2: Cujo,
1: <laughs> because the number five was the cat movie, so I had to follow it up <laughs> with the dog.
0: And also, but, Kujo but that was, means that means the dog came higher up on your list than the cat.
1: Yeah, but the dog in this movie's a bastard. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> well, Cujo was technically in Cat's Eye. <laughs> yeah, at the at the very beginning of the movie. No, this one, I love it. I honestly think it's one of the scariest movies from the eighties. Like. I love that this this movie really takes its time. It mm-hmm. builds up not just the dog, and it does a great job of building up the dog to where he's just a dog at the beginning of it, just a regular dog who seems friendly enough and likes going out, running around, chasing shit, and then is bit, and it isn't any kind of instantaneous turn or anything like that. You are slowly seeing this dog going more and more crazy in the first half that put alongside with really taking time to develop uh d wallace this affair she's having uh her relationship with his son or sorry with her son and Mm -hmm. when those two plots come crashing together in the first in the in Maybe halfway into the movie It works like it, it really works Because you've really gotten to know These people Before they're trapped in that car And You've also simultaneously see, Seen the progression To just how monstrous this dog gets mm-hmm. And I love the Cinematography in this It's terrifying Um Not just that dog Just jumping at the window But the situation itself, being trapped in this car that doesn't work, where it is like a hundred plus degrees in there, and the camera does such a great job with the uh, the look of the movie, where the just looking at the movie just feels hot, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yep. sweating bullets. Watching, you could feel the heat coming from the movie, and. The suspense is done so well with the cinematography and editing, like when it does that big 360 turn inside of the car, where it's like, Man, I don't know if these people are gonna make it out of this situation. <laughs> I was Laura hasn't seen this yet. And I go, like, oh, you need to see Cujo. And she Laura's <laughs> Laura's a big dog person. She's a dog person, like I'm a cat person. And Laura goes, I don't know. Laura goes, I don't know if I could see a dog die at the end of it. And I go, I understand where your head's out there, but this, <laughs> no, that dog needed to go.
0: <laughs> he, he really had it coming.
1: Yeah. I'm like, no, like I go, it's a tragic story. It's not simply just this two dimensional story of an evil dog. No, no, it's a tragic story. You do feel for this dog. But that dog's got to go by the end of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's I I love it. it. That one still sticks still sticks with me.
0: And I think if if they had just used the regular dog for the whole thing, I don't think it would have worked. But when they have the guy in the the dog prosthetic, it just makes it that much more intimidating. Cause, uh, that dog's pretty big to begin with, but then when you've yeah. got one that's double the size, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like and God damn. I, I had one of my legs tore up by a freaking German Shepherd, and I got a fear of dogs uh, as it is, but Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> yeah, Every time good. I see a
0: dog like that, I'm like, oh.
1: Yeah, you actually hit on something, too, which is that, like, uh I'm... I'd rather not be around a big dog. Like, <laughs> I've been bitten across the face by one when I was younger, mm. and um, a Saint Bernard I'd have no problem with, even after Cujo's Surprise! Like, um, a Saint Bernard I wouldn't, because it's it's. Uh, it's not Beethoven, like Saint,
0: Beethoven lulled you into the sense of security with Saint Bernards.
1: Be, yeah, exactly. Be, because there are certain <laughs> kinds of dogs that are always the villains. Mm-hmm. Saint Bernards, it's really just Cujo. Admittedly, that's a huge example of a dog being yeah. a villain. But they are endearing looking, especially when like you see those old portraits where they got the barrel around a whiskey <laughs> around their neck and shit. Like so, but now I'm I. Yeah, I uh, there's certain dogs where I prefer to kind of keep my distance. I yeah. do. I don't know if this is happening. I hate this. Like, okay, this doesn't so much happen anymore, but it used to in the old neighborhood that we used to live in. When I would go out for my walks, I would be walking through through the neighborhood. This big giant dog would come running up to me. And I just have to like stand there and like freeze and be like, Mm -hmm. oh God, oh God. And the owner is always there. And every single time, doesn't matter who this is, the owner always has the thing of like, don't worry, he ain't gonna hurt you. Like, I don't know (laughs) you, dude. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if you've
0: had a bad day. You're just gonna take that leash off.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know your dog. Get a leash. yeah the uh long story short, I'm way more of a cat person <laughs> yeah uh
0: when it when it happened to me, this was like there was a house that was like four or five houses down from me, mm-hmm. and uh the family that lived there had moved a few years ago in because the family had lost their daughter to a very vicious murder, and so mm-hmm. that's why they they had this big German shepherd named sarge and he was never out in the front yard, so I'm riding my skateboard around, and just out of nowhere, just this fucking bullet of fur knocks me off my board and just rips my uh, my left leg to, like, shreds. Ooh, damn. And, but I was like, I couldn't be mad, so, like, I understand why you have the dog, because we yeah. all knew about what happened. We were like, I, I can't, like, even my dad was like, I, I don't have the heart to tell him to put the dog down. <laughs> I can't. Oh, yeah. Because I know why they have it. Because he still had a, uh, he had the guy still had a son and, a, and another daughter. So it's like there's, you just kind of have to take the loss on this one. <laughs> the yeah. loss meaning a huge chunk of fucking meat oh. out of your leg. But I was like, like I was <laughs> I was old enough to understand. Like yeah, uh, it's their fault for not having the dog on a leash. But sometimes you just have to be the bigger person about it and just be like, yeah, you can just keep the dog. <laughs>
1: uh, oh yeah, totally. But, I get it.
0: yeah that was yeah uh so number four for you was kujo number four for me was the one i when i when i talked to you earlier about this and said that it's going to be one that's going to piss people off because it's it's not including another one that's connected to this film in the top five and uh that's dr sleep
1: (laughs) oh okay I was wondering when you texted me earlier and was like, "I'm gonna say one well, that's gonna piss people off." Through my head, I'm going, "Is it gonna be like Dark Tower or <laughs> like what
0: is redeemable about Dark Tower to actually make I'm like, any top I,
1: five list?" I'm like going, "Like maybe he thought it was really entertaining or something." <laughs> Matthew McConaughey
0: acting nothing like Matthew McConaughey really got to me. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, Doctor Sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I can see it. Uh, and not so much
0: because it's – because this, the the adaption of the story itself is good, uh, mm-hmm. but because it tries to continue on Kubrick's version of The Shining. Yeah. And it does it – there's a lot of heart in it. There's a lot of effort, a lot of attention to detail, um, except for like mm-hmm. – the cameras they used and some of the wide shots they got just like really didn't match what they were trying to go for. But yeah, this seeing what happened to Danny so many years later and how this took its toll on him was something I had always wondered because I knew that kid was never going to be right after this. Um, And I, I feel the way they told Danny's story. He had, he had redemption. I felt so sorry for him. And I felt that he almost got the ending he deserved. The only reason I feel it didn't quite work is because we didn't see enough time with him and Wendy to build that connection. He tells you more about what happened and why uh, Wendy's passing was so tragic for him. But we don't see it. Yeah. Um, That and it's always nice to see someone try to be Scatman Crothers. (laughs) I love Scatman Crothers. And to see someone almost nail it, just all the accent was just a little off, but just that guy, I was like, every time I saw him in the in the silhouette, in, in like uh, in a distant shot, I'm like, is that? Did they just put Scatman Crothers in there? That that guy did such a good job.
1: <laughs> yeah, I my favorite kinds of impressions are the ones where like you never think of somebody doing an impression of that person, and when that <laughs> actress is Shelley Duvall, she's great. And in, I'm in the theater going. I never thought about a Shelley Duvall impression before, but th- this girl's really got it
2: down.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering how much of that was her and how much of that was sound mixing, because we don't get enough of her. We yeah. don't get... We, we should have gotten more of Danny growing up, but we just get these stark... Like, like he's eight, then he's in his like late 30s. It just... Mm-hmm starts and stops so rapidly and you get nothing in between i would have liked to see what it was like for him in his early adult years like maybe he was maybe he was on his way to being successful and then he just he just couldn't do it we just see that breakdown but where we where we start with him is he's already broken down he's sleeping with uh very trashy women at the bar and Mm. but still that. I like that. That was his breaking point. Was where he's yeah. leaving. He's taking the money, and then he turns around realizes that this this whore has a very small son, and it's just yeah. like,
1: ooh, that's, ow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I. uh That's one where it's. um re- Thinking back on it, I'm like, you know, I I did enjoy that. I think I was. I think I maybe harp too much on um what i thought negatively about it when we reviewed Mm -hmm. it which that that'll happen when you do like we do where you're reviewing something minutes after watching it (laughs) you'll just have that sometimes uh and and, the stuff
0: that struck the biggest chord is what you're gonna remember the most about right away
1: yeah and i'm like thinking back on it like yeah i i I probably should have been a little more uh positive in the review of it, because I did enjoy it, and I do enjoy it like certainly thinking back on it. There's a lot to really admire about it, one of which is that it does I do like that we have this uh mainstream epic horror movie. it's two mm-hmm. and a half hours long it really does feel like a horror epic. There's some things that I could certainly criticize about it, but it does a lot of things well, especially that last half hour where you're going back through the overlook again. It's a really good build up to uh a lot of good like treats and Easter eggs you get there in that last thirty minutes.
0: I think if they had tried to just do a an adaptation but ignore Kubrick, I don't think the movie would have worked at all. I think it would have no. been it, it. needed those bits of nostalgia to, to make it to give it more weight, and, but at the same time, the things that aren't Kubrick related are some of the weaker points. Like the vampires are so poorly explained and so mm. poorly developed that I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, there. I can tell that 90% of them are going to die before we get to the final act, and we're just yeah. going to be stuck with the one. And she's not intimidating, but the thing that they did that struck me the hardest, being a father, was the onslaught of violence that they have towards that baseball kid. Dude, yeah! <laughs> I was like, ow, this is this is hard to watch, because that's one of those things that King is good at, is portraying violence against the most vulnerable people. And yeah. that scene, it kept going and going, mm. and god Damn, they they just did not want to relent on this. They wanted to make sure these people were completely irredeemable.
1: Yeah. No, I like that too. I'm like, man, this movie went for it. Kudos. <laughs> like I respect yeah, I respect especially a mainstream movie. <laughs> a Warner Brothers movie. Yeah, I, I I do I do respect that.
0: I'm surprised they didn't do it with the the other victims or showing even more victims. I mean, we only get the really graphic end of the one. And the other little girl just gets kind of set upon. But yeah, if they had done a montage of just how villainous these people are through like this period where Danny's sober and da- Danny has to confront them, I th- it would have added a little bit more to that end battle. Because at the end, it was like, I know Danny's gonna win, and he's he's probably gonna sacrifice himself, and that's what turned out to happen. I was like, oh no, and- I guess no no surprises.
1: You pretty much have to tie it into Kubrick's too, especially when you're making this for a movie audience because Kubrick's The Shining is it, it, it is a horror classic.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: is, you know, if you're making a movie that's based on the sequel to The Shining and you're making it a movie if you don't have those tie-ins with Kubrick's The Shining a movie audience is going to wonder why that's not the case why yeah. <laughs> like why like this this doesn't feel like it's a sequel to the shining <laughs> so i was i was glad they did that um and uh um especially because i'm i'm sure king liked too the fact that like it's tied into the stanley kubrick movie and has more in common with the book of Dr. Sleep than Mm -hmm. Kubrick's The Shining does with The Book of
0: The Shining. Oh, yeah. That's why I didn't include The Shining on my list, because I look at it as strictly a Kubrick movie and not a Stephen King movie, because there are such great departures. It's got... At a very base level, you say, yeah, it's an adaption of Stephen King's book, but when you look at it as a as a lover of cinema you're like this is this is all Kubrick everything about this is there's nothing in here that makes me say this is Stephen King's work
1: sure um so well (laughs) not to spoil anything but I guess (laughs) (laughs) that's gonna be number one isn't it (laughs) I was in my head I was what you just said was going going through my head when i made this list but i'll i'll explain why later later on <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um my uh third is uh, uh christine <laughs> um, i mean it's sentimental in the fact that it was the first book of his i uh uh read because uh, I was like simulta- i was simultaneously going back and forth between that and and Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. and um, for the first the first books of his that I had read, and the movie, John Carpenter did such a great job of adapting that because he when you, it's one of those movies when you explain it to somebody you go like oh yeah it's about this like possessed car and everything you're going to picture maybe probably more so something like maximum overdrive in your head mm-hmm. um but what's not we're... a
0: love story or an obs- a, a love obsession story
1: yeah not this really tragic story about this loser guy who becomes cool because of this car and it's really this psychological film about um popularity and mm-hmm a man going insane cause he actually does kind of get everything he wants through this car. Um, and John Carpenter really does make it scary via use of music. Um, the, uh, the editing, uh, when the car is chasing buddy Reperton and it's on fire and it's chasing him down the, uh, <laughs> Down the street, like it's a horrifying shot. And through music, you just buy all this stuff and it makes it work through how cleverly edited it is, and also the effects, too, when the car is reassembling itself. Mm-hmm. And the soundtrack really helps with that too. Not just John Carpenter's music, which is great, but also the oldies soundtrack that is a very is a...
0: Stephen King soundtrack.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And you see familiar you certainly see familiar types of things in all of Stephen King's stuff whether it's bullies 50s nostalgia um and you often see which adaptations do it better than others and for me mm-hmm. Keith Gordon as Arnie Cunningham <laughs> is the way better Harold from uh the stand because <laughs> <laughs> Both characters are these nerdy outcasts and then get more evil as the movie goes along. But what Christine does way better than the miniseries, The Stand, is that you really do empathize with Arnie in Christine. Like, he Mm -hmm. seems like a good kid, like a good kid who's just nerdy. It's 1978. He's getting picked on a lot. And you do really buy this friendship between him and uh, Dennis. And that makes it more tragic as the movie goes along with. He he gets his car. He does get confidence. He does get cool. But it drives him insane. Whereas Mm. Harold was always creepy. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Like,
1: Like... Uh, yeah, he was always insane. He just started blowing people up halfway through the movie. Um, in, in Christine, Keith Gordon is awesome in that. Like when I was a kid and really wanted to get into, uh, acting and like playing bad guys, in movies. (laughs) That was one performance that like really would that was hugely inspirational for me. (laughs) Like I would I like I wanted to play that kind of character. I wanted to give those kind of like crazy ass performances and everything. And Keith Gordon and Christine is one of the performances that made me want to become an actor and really play a lot of like batshit parts like that. Cause he's creepy and he does it so well. Like he's great at being this sort of lovable loser at the beginning of it. But then later when he's driving the car at the end and there's that crazy shot with him behind the wheel and when he's like threatening his dad, when he's doing that speech to Dennis, when they're drinking in the car and he's talking about love and obsession and everything, it's his performance in that movie is one of my favorite eighties horror movie performances. Um, which makes it an interesting double feature with Back to School. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dude, watch Christine do a triple Lindy
1: <laughs> I Just usually land. compared it. I usually compared it to uh this other performance, which I always thought was really underrated, and that's Mark Patton's performance in Elm Street Two, mm-hmm. um, where you see I. I to me, that was always an underrated movie and a really underrated performance because it's, it's similar. It is. It's similar in that you have this kind of normal guy throughout it, but is driven more and more and more insane by this supernatural force throughout the movie. Um, both of those performances really did stick with me as a, as a kid. So... <clears throat> of Kings that I wish we would see
0: more of in adaptations is that symbiotic, uh, toxic love relationship. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, I don't know if it's ever been adapted, but, uh, he had a short story called, um, uh, strawberry spring, which uh-huh. it's a story about a killer like, uh, Jack the Ripper. But the interesting thing is instead of like Christine being the car, Christine is the fog that rolls in during the strawberry spring, which allows the killer to kill. And mm-hmm. the, the killer is almost in love with the mist because it allows him to act out these things. And I just, I'd like to see more of that. Some of that, 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 that weird love relationship that, that kind of gives it like, lets people's ids come out in a very bad way. So I think Steve uh, King does that really well with, even even the raft, the raft is almost like that because the, oh yeah yeah <laughs> the in the in the in the short story that he submitted, I think it was either to um, I think it was Penthouse or Playgirl or Playboy, whatever. Whenever that came out in the seventies, the slick itself is is like a rape accomplice. It, yeah. it 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 gets into their eyes and they they see the colors and then he's like he's plowing the girl on the raft and then the raft just eats her. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's just there's something about that that connection between a person and this elemental thing that he does really well. But there's not there's either not enough talented filmmakers that can pull it off, or there's something that audiences just won't be able to connect with in that sense.
1: And there's a good connection with it being on my list too because Christine was also in Cat's Eye. <laughs> Remember the was beginning it? of the movie? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cujo is chasing the cat and then the cat almost gets hit by, uh, Gen- General almost gets hit by Christine. And in case yeah. you didn't know, it was Christine. The bumper sticker says, I'm Christine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so subtle. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. So we got your number three out of the way. Mine is um, Frank Darabound's version of The Mist. Mm. There's, and I put it on here because when I originally saw it, I loved most of it until yeah. the ending. And oh, we sure. had this, we had this huge blowout on, uh, on uh, dinner for fiends when it happened. We had almost every writer from Dread Central was on that call, and everyone agreed that it was all great. But then, like there was this split down the middle. Either everyone half everyone hated the ending, and half everybody loved it. In the beginning I hated the ending. Mm. But then after I reread the novella, I was kinda like this story doesn't go anywhere if you just end it with them traveling and just trying to have hope that they're going to find an end to this mist. Yeah. Having having Thomas Paine have to go through this horrible decision to kill his friends and his son in a car, only to realize that either the crazy woman's prophecy was right and her son and his son had to die to stop this or he is extremely unlucky mm. <laughs> so he loses his wife he loses everybody and then he gets out of the car and then oh army army saving you all from uh from these horrible creatures whoops <laughs> at first i was like fuck that but now that i rewatch it i'm like i i actually really like that ending <laughs>
1: It's kind of a throwback to, like, an old Twilight Zone kind of ending.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you can almost see, like, William Shatner just, like, crashing to his knees and just begging God to just
1: yeah kill um, him. <laughs> I'm going to have to... Is that episode of Dinner for Fiends still available? I might have to go... Uh, I'm gonna,
0: I'll see if I can find it. Wow, what was that? 2008?
2: 2007?
0: I think so. I uh, can yeah. Oh yeah, I'll have to... I'll look. It's It's probably still there, but, yeah, that was uh yeah (laughs) i think i think uh steven lynch was on the call with us from um uh wrong turn so yeah he was he was in there giving his his opinions too that was that was a very long episode of that of that podcast (laughs) but yeah the the creature effects were great uh having the mist shroud the cgi effects made them even better even there's a couple dodgy ones with the like the scorpion monster picking up ollie and snapping him in half but the spiders and the, uh, the, the, the pterodactyls and the bugs and just having everyone go from trying to be a team to save themselves to that, that split down the middle of everyone's following that crazy religious bitch and then yeah. everyone else who's still sane. And <laughs> damn. And then when they sacrifice the, uh, the, the poor army kid, <laughs> just stab oh, him in the gut yeah. and just send him out there. Or when, the, when that first group tries to leave and they tie the rope around the waist of the uh, the, one, uh, the one good old boy. And they start dragging it back and it's just his lower half that comes with it. It's, everything about that was just such a good, concise, compact horror film. And it did those nice little references to King's other works. Like uh, Thomas Paine painting the, uh, the poster for uh, The Gunslinger or The Dark Tower. And just like those little hints that maybe all this is kind of connected, but it doesn't go out of its way to say yes, this is connected to the the macroverse or whatever. It's just those little things there. And I and I don't think there was even a bad performance in that film. And you could have easily just hammed it up and made it yeah. silly, but they they took it seriously. No matter what was being thrown at them, like these people f- looked and felt like they were in peril all, at all mm-hmm. times.
1: Did you ever watch the show?
0: I got through the first episode and I could tell right away that it wasn't it was gonna be something totally different. And then I stopped. Uh-huh. And then the <laughs> reviews started different rolling about, in. But. Yeah. And the reviews started rolling in. I was like, oh no, I am not in I'm not investing my time in this at all. This is not the <laughs> mist. <laughs> How do you screw up such a basic premise? Otherworldly Mist opens up portal to fucking monstrosities. Simple as that. Just show different people in different areas trying to survive.
1: I never saw it. I, I didn't even hear uh I, I don't even know if i even noticed any reviews of it really i just kind of forgot it was heavy. it's one of those shows where i was like i don't know if that'll be any good or not i just know i won't i'm not gonna have time to watch it <laughs> so it's just
0: like mercedes man no one knows that it's an ongoing series but there it is on at&t
1: <laughs> well we'll fight uh, anybody have
0: at&t i mean shit
1: We'll find out soon enough if that the stand mini series that, that new one is gonna have any kind of release date.
0: <laughs> it's one of those things they'll keep pushing off, they'll just use it as an excuse not to do it. Like, oh coronavirus. Oopsie, don't have time.
1: Yeah. Um I did CBS streaming, I think, is what that's is what that's going to.
0: <laughs> it seems to be kind of like the place where things that people don't have either a lot of faith in or they know it's kind of crap. They just kind of shove on
1: there. Right. I'll watch it. I'll watch that one. Yeah, um, you, can take, you can take that bullet for me. Yeah. I'm sure. Kind of like you with the mist. I'm sure that after an episode or so, I could probably determine what I'm, what I'll think of it. <laughs> Especially because the the first part of that should be the strongest. And if they mess it up, it'll be like, well, this gives me no faith for the rest of it. <laughs>
0: Well, now they can make it very topical. I mean, it, Captain yeah. Trips was basically, like, super flu. And mm-hmm. that's what they talk about in Night Surf, the prelude to um, uh, to the stand. It's like, it's, if, it's just the flu is going to kill us. And that was the ultimate ending that one of the characters came to. It's like uh if they if aliens land on this planet and see we're all dead we could just have a sign that said just the flu yeah <laughs> just the flu wiped out all of all of humanity
1: <laughs> um yeah no, i'll uh did you ever do you have the copy of uh is, isn't there a black and white copy of the mist
0: yes yeah it's on the uh the blu-ray that i have is that the version you watch that was the version I watched the third time I watched it. Because I don't think black it had a black and white run in theaters. No. And then when the when the Blu-ray first came out, I think there were two versions. There was just a standalone. There was the one that came with two. And I had to buy the second version later and finally watched it in black and white. And it works a lot better in black and white.
1: That's what I've heard. I've not seen yeah. the black and white one. I've only seen the movie, I've seen it twice. I saw it when it hit video and I think I watched it with a a buddy not long after. I like it. I I like the miss. It's not on my list, but I enjoy the movie. And I've heard that from people who say that they've seen the black and white one, that that's now with that having been released, that that's the one that they prefer.
0: And it's got a lot of those great Frank Darabont uh, tropes in it. Like Mm -hmm. from the actors to certain shots to certain effect sequences, just, He's got this great way of doing things, which is probably the reason why the first season of Walking Dead, even though it was a travesty behind the scenes, still worked out so well. Because he has this, yeah. he has a certain crew of actors he knows he can get a great performance out of, and he knows mm-hmm. how to direct special effects sequences. If yeah. if that hadn't come together, Walking Dead wouldn't have lasted as long as it has. Oh no. <laughs> <And> <laughs> they would have just that. been like they would have cut it in, cut the series in half and be like we'll save people like 10 years of dragging this shit
1: out right yeah and i haven't seen that in like five years <laughs> yeah. like i'm i'm but
0: bowing I, out i've i've had enough zombies for the past 20 years <laughs> same
1: dear god yeah um <laughs> uh my uh two uh yeah, carry um <laughs> wait
0: wait which version
1: of different. <laughs> <laughs> the rage carry too thank you very much <laughs> oh yeah uh, where her tattoo comes to life and oh god i forgot about that uh man <laughs> yeah i saw that piece of shit um de palma's <laughs> uh <laughs> well i mean <laughs> kind Of, like, with Dr. Sleep, it was in the universe of the original of the first yeah. one because it had uh Amy uh, Irving back in it again. Um, no, De Palma's is great because, like, I mean, really, you just got to talk about the climax, it works so goddamn well. The split screen, the editing, watching these assholes fucking, like pay for this, but sissy's but also, eyes sell that all those shots so well. Eyes, the soundtrack man um it's just and plus they do it well too in that like there's good people who also die during that sequence who really don't have it coming as much as certain other people do and then other characters where you're like i thought that was a good person but now they're laughing their ass off at her Mm -hmm. um the, uh, the, the coach um and the sequence with her and her mom at the end where the, like, that's an example, like, um, of really knowing how to have this really sensational ending and pulling it back and enough, knowing what's really going to work in the universe that we're putting right here in this movie. Cause I mm-hmm. love, I love the book. I, I it might, might be my favorite Stephen King book. I love the book. Um, and I do love how in the book she destroys that whole town <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Which they, um, in the,
0: in the remake, they tried to do that, but the, the streets were so empty that all the shots of the carnage were just kind of like, what's the point? What's, what's the cost of this? No one's around to see it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. And the remake was Julianne Moore was well cast in that, but not, chloe it's the hell and i like Oh, chloe she's Marat. she's
0: so homely
1: oh god like that's more like like uh like you'd see in a shenanigansy comedy where it's like uh <laughs> ew she's ugly she's got glasses takes glasses off damn uh, <laughs> it's, it's
0: she's all that the horror movie
1: i mean i don't but i do like how uh because those bullies are bastards in De Palma's Carrie. like Nancy Allen mm-hmm. and Travolta are great, and like they're like <laughs> i It's kinda why I like slasher movies a lot, where it's like characters from like uh a Porkys type movie have just kinda like a <laughs> horror movie happens to them um and in uh in Carry like Nancy Allen, Travolta and all of them are thinking in no way, shape, or form is any of this gonna turn into a horror film. <laughs> like to them, like, oh, it's just hijinks, you know. <laughs> like, admittedly, wildly sociopathic hijinks. But like, you know, they're they think they're in just like this R-rated, like sociopathic screwball movie. But then no one's gonna kill
0: does. PJ Souls. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, God. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I love how evil they are at it from like Travolta mm-hmm. giddily killing that pig. Um and when they're holding on to the rope before dumping the blood and it's just, and Nancy Allen is just like salivating or like the close-up on her lips, her eyes, her hands. Like she is like this. <laughs> Dumping this pig's blood is freaking orgasmic. Yeah, it's she's some. getting
0: off on it big time.
1: <laughs> it does something well that... Because these crazy-ass bullies are in a ton of Stephen King stuff. In uh-huh. some, it's like, how is this person even in high school and not in jail? <laughs> um, like, how is this person not already kind of a serial killer. What De Palma does really well with the casting and carry is where it's like, yeah, these are evil bullies like you see in Stephen King, but I'm like, I see how these people are popular at this high school in 1976. Mm-hmm. I buy Nancy Allen as this popular girl in this high school. <laughs> um yeah, it's a it's a great ride, man. I mean it it's quotable. It's it's iconic dear god um and i think i think it's a really damn good adaptation
0: and sissy spacek plays vulnerability to a t in this film
1: oh god yeah yeah okay yeah that's another thing too kind of like what i'm saying what i was saying about keith gordon as arnie cunningham mm-hmm. where that whole build up it's like the way she's acting the way she looks it's like yeah man like you you see how this girl's gonna have a tough time in high school in the 1970s (laughs) -hmm. but then when she gets you know she's in her prom dress she's at prom and everything to go back to like those 80s shenanigansy movie again i'm like yeah this really does do things like pretty realistically where it's like the person's realistically this homely high school student. But then when they're made up, it's a natural transition to where, when they're mm-hmm. made up and like, okay, yeah, I, I, I see how even through manipulation, like this person is now like the prom queen. Cause it's like, she's made up to look pretty good. Like when she's mm-hmm. at prom and everything, um, Again, way better than just simply. Oh, we just let her hair down and took her glasses off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We put some eyeliner on her. Boom.
1: Oh yeah. Good
0: enough for Maxim. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's hard to. uh, It's hard to kind of like you got to be good at doing that anymore, especially after not another teen movie kind of nailed that parody.
0: Uh, oh yeah and the, and the greatest American hero gets taken out by a fucking bucket
1: <laughs> William cat <Katt>, yeah. <laughs> yeah poor William cat
0: <laughs> is his beautiful blonde fro just...
1: that like uh, <laughs> Randy Marsh tuxedo that he has at prom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I if, if he hadn't if he hadn't died and and Carrie hadn't looked at him and looked at his corpse I think everyone would have been fine but <laughs> Right. I think just the fact that she was humiliated and her prom date is dead it was just like nope that's that's it all stops are gone
1: yeah dude and like also just having one of the original best jump scare endings
2: mm-hmm.
1: like done right I mean done especially at a time where that kind of shit wasn't done to death um Just doing it right, that hand coming up and everything. Oh, yeah, the whole thing is just great.
0: Yeah, and it's the way it's set up is, you know, the the fire marshal's already been there and just been like, yeah, everything's fine. You wouldn't expect a body to just, like, suddenly just jump out at you. That's what makes it work. Because if it was just, if it was set, if they had done it, like, at nighttime and it's just after the smoldering ruins were just falling apart and then that happens, it would have been like, oh, yeah, okay. But... Yeah, the is way it? they did it in the daytime makes it so much more of a jump scare.
1: Yeah, and is it the smoldering high school still there in the second one? Like, in, don't they in go, the rage in the rage? Yeah,
0: I think it's a different. It's a different school because it's in a different.
1: It's not a different state, but I think it's a different city. I thought, isn't there? I could be. I'm going off at of like 20 years of memory. Isn't there a yeah, I haven't scene seen it
0: since like 2001 or something?
1: Yeah, isn't there a scene where Sue and the main girl like go to the abandoned old high school and like uh, it's uh, still there? It, it's still there. It's rubble because <laughs>
0: <laughs> for <laughs> 20 years later. for thematic effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I don't. Like, I don't remember that scene. I just remember. I just remember them showing up, like, what I remember is, like, Cara, our our discount Carrie gets popular, then she goes to that party, and then our cameo shows up at the end to witness somebody get, like, a spear through the face. I don't remember anything in between those two, those two scenes.
1: I know, dude. Yeah, Sam, like, one guy got, like, his nuts ripped off and was With a it... fucking
0: harpoon gun! yeah and it was dude
1: from home improvement yeah um yeah uh man that movies i never saw the uh the made for tv remake
0: yep near did i i (laughs) if it's already been done better in theatrical form why would i want to see a tame discounted version on basic cable
1: and I don't even know if it's supposed to be any good or not. Like I think that like the the cat the casting of it is at least good. So the casting of it's at least better than the casting of uh, the theatrical remake.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but dude, I I okay. I kind of remember. Wasn't it in? Didn't they leave it open at the end, like they were gonna have it be like a potential like series where I don't know like carrie and sue go cross country together and shit
2: for
0: the the remake
1: not the chloe Moretz rage one. not not that one the made for tv remake oh that i got um, no idea i don't i can't remember hearing any news about it being uh, an ongoing thing I, I want to say, like, I, I'm, I'm having some kind of memory of this to where, like, it had this, they gave it this, like, open ending in case it did so well that they wanted to, like, ooh, let's make this a weekly TV series. Like, like let's film and Louise this shit. <laughs> they
0: that's what they should have done with Salem's Lot, because that actually has yeah. an ending that, with an ongoing story. But, yeah, mm-hmm. Carrie, I just couldn't see that being everyone coming back to see, ooh, what, sh- what psychic shenanigans can, uh can the crazy homely girl get
1: into like is it gonna be like highway to heaven but with carrie white
0: <laughs> <laughs> she's she's the narrator or or the highway man where they just turn it into an anthology series where carrie is just the narrator
1: oh god yeah like <laughs> I guess Freddie's nightmares <laughs> yeah i'll uh shit i'll have to i have to look at that. I, I'm having some kind of memory of that.
2: <laughs>
1: that must have been some <laughs> night I just fell down the rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> just looking at non, non-completed Stephen King adaptations.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it happens. <laughs>
0: uh, number two for me is uh, Silver Bullet.
1: I like that uh, we have Winter different Space. ones on
0: our list. Yeah. that's When I was going through, I was like, I like the ones that are popular. The the really good films, you know, Shawshank Redemption or The Green Mile, they're great films. But for me, they're not Stephen King stories that stick with me for a long period of time. It's not to say any of these other films are not great films. Some of them perfect films. It's just when I think Stephen King, I think of these very specific ones. Um, That's Silver Bullet. Yeah, (laughs) Silver Bullet is a great creature film. With a a lot of build up and a lot of very suspenseful scenes involving a kid in a wheelchair and his sister and his drunk Gary Busey uncle, and just like like I always say, there's like there there are some stakes here. Like that werewolf killed a kid, killed a drunk, killed a pregnant woman. Like there was there was nothing this this preach. The best part was that it is a man of God that turns into this creature. And just kills based on his skewed view of morality. Mm-hmm. And fuck. And it is, even though the uh, the book, it's not much of a book. It's like kind of a, it's more of a short story with great illustrations by uh, Bernie Wrightson. Mm-hmm. But the book is is nowhere as good as compared to the film. You yeah. can't take Bernie's, Bernie's art and make it. A film, it just wouldn't work. But yeah, it stands on its own as its own thing. And Corey Haim is likable. uh The gimmick of his of his like his turbo wheelchair is kind of funny. Oh,
2: oh, oh, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but watching him take watching him take out a werewolf that's chasing him with a with a freaking bottle rocket it's Mm -hmm. it's so insane but uh, what else is that kid gonna do the kid is very vulnerable and there are points in the story where he is he could just fucking die right there because how's he gonna get how's he gonna get away and it's even got that final scare like right before the end uh which which worked really i I wasn't expecting because the guy looks dead as fuck but this eyeless fucking guy just fucking shooting out at the camera in that in those last couple minutes. And the only thing that I I didn't like about Silver Bullet is you don't get enough of a redemption for uh, the werewolf. You, right. You understand he has a struggle, but we don't get to spend enough time with him to see if he when he looks back at the things he, he's done, does he have a breakdown? Does he does he ever come to grips with what he's done? Because he seems like he goes from being bothered by it to I'm completely fine with it. Cause this kid shot my goddamn eye out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he makes that transition transition into just a, a vicious murder, just like in one incident when he was kind of in the wrong for wanting to kill a poor kid in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> and Man, I, Gary Busey plays that, that drunk uncle just so well. He's oh, so, yeah. he's like, I, I can imagine him being a family member. That's just how, dumb and lovable while also flawed
1: yeah yeah i used to watch this a lot when it would be on like hbo or Mm -hmm. showtime showtime one of the two one of the cable channels like they used to show this one a lot probably yeah it might have been that one too
0: (laughs) in between all the softcore porn and red shoe diaries
1: yeah <laughs> and when i was uh looking through the list and everything earlier and i came across silver bullet there i go like man i haven't seen that one in a while i should because i because i would watch it uh like a handful of times when i was a kid and i was looking at that one going man if i if it, <laughs> like that that's one i'd consider for my list if it hadn't been 15 years since i'd seen it <laughs> I used to have a lot of fun with that movie. Yeah, when you when you
0: take like a long period of time between watching Silver Bullet, you for, you forget like a lot of these like. There's these small moments where there's like the sibling rivalry that you, you just don't remember because it kind of it it happens so rarely in the film. But when you see it, it's like that, that's done really well. You and there's like these musical cues that go along with it that the compound yeah. it. You're like wow, I. These these two people actually really do care about each other even though they're at each other's throats through most of the movie like this is this is actually a good family drama that just happens to have a fucking werewolf in it
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, which is, like, a lot of adaptations of his do so well. Like, uh, we were mm-hmm. talking last week about that with the It miniseries, mm-hmm. where it's, like, this is a really, like, coming-of-age story about this group of losers or outcasts, they're all friends together, hanging out, having a good time, like, doing 60s shit. <laughs> and then, like, oh, right, this clown's gonna kill... <laughs> he's gonna try <laughs> to kill all of them. <laughs> um... Yeah, with you talking about Silver Bullet, like, this is one of those instances where, like, it's it's coming back to me more as you're as you're talking about it. In a good way, not like a minute ago with Rage Carry 2, where it was like, <laughs> sh- well, that shit's coming back to me, her tattoos and shit.
0: <laughs> and they
1: haven't tried to
0: remake it, which is
1: the great thing, because yeah. you, Shock-
0: you could try to go a very serious route with it and, and not have the, the turbo wheelchair and not have Gary Busey, but... It, I don't think it would work if you took a, seri- a very serious tone with it. If you didn't have all the fucking townsfolk out in the woods shooting each other or getting taken out or stepping in bear traps. It's silly, but also it's it's a pretty horrible thought that you have no idea what you're fighting. You're just out there with a bunch of other idiots with guns.
1: It's one of the very few of his older ones that hasn't been remade or even <laughs> talked about there being a remake. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, but I mean, yeah, my number one's The Shining. Oh, <laughs> uh, you? But let let me explain. So pedestrian. I know <laughs> everything that you mentioned earlier. I was thinking about it was going through my head. I I was sitting there going, well, i, I <laughs> if by some chance Stephen King hears this, I know he's not going to like me putting this at number one. Um, <laughs> but I I go. Do I? Because you're right. It's Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. It's Mm -hmm. its own entity. It's not like there's so much of the book that's not there. It's an entirely different beast. And the Mm -hmm. beast that it is works perfectly. Like, it's a beautiful film. And it's scary and... Iconic. We've used that a few times with this, but the best Stephen King adaptations are ones that like stick with you over the decades. The reason why I was like, you know what? I will because I've seen how this is adapted into what is technically a more accurate adaptation, and it's not nearly as... <laughs> it doesn't work nearly as well as the Stanley Kubrick one. Not to say that there couldn't be an adaptation done that would be more like the book that you could still be good. It could. I think that just happens when you get Mick Garris and <laughs> Mick Garris has done stuff I've liked, but he's one that get, he, 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 he's one that could be a little too like literal with some of the things that he's adapting and not really realize the difference between video and page, but it's- <laughs> Yeah, it's almost
0: like it's it's a, it's the Shining with like a Critters two vibe to it. Was kind of yeah. Feel that TV movie was like,
1: yeah. Um, but with Kubrick's, here is what it still does really well in terms of it being an adaptation. One is really making the Overlook Hotel a character. Mm-hmm. Um, the Overlook Hotel. Is a huge character in both the book and in Kubrick's version. Um, down to uh, them giving, getting that giant tour of it at the beginning of it, where it's just this gorgeous hotel. In the mountains, and it really is setting it up as a character, like the adaptation of Cujo does with Cujo, like with Arnie Cunningham in Christine. Here, it's doing that with a hotel, like the book does. The ho- and, and and progressively over the course of the movie, showing how scary and simultaneously huge but isolating this place is. Um. The book does that, and Kubrick's version does that too. Like you really do get the horror of this place and the manip and the manipulation of it too. How it is manipulating Jack Torrance. It doesn't do the redemption thing like the book. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Uh, Jack is a lot <laughs> edgier towards the beginning than early Jack Torrance is in the book, but it's not you do see more normalcy in Jack Torrance in Kubrick's than I think it's given credit for. Sometimes I do see, see where people say like, Oh, Jack was already (laughs) crazy at the beginning of that. And you could see how this could be a guy who could potentially snap, but he is keeping it together. Like Mm -hmm. he is at least putting up a facade of being normal when he's in the interview with uh, Barry Nelson, uh, when he's doing the tour, and he's, you know, talking to Danny and, and Wendy. Like, yeah, you can see how this could be a guy who's probably got like a short fuse, but he is trying to keep it together and seems somewhat normal. Um, the turn is relatively quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Never. within the first
0: 45 minutes
1: almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's much quicker than in the book. But what it does what it also does well in terms of, again, it being an adaptation, is being seduced by alcohol. Uh, The uh, obsession with being a writer, writer's block, needing to be alone and isolated and snapping when your thought process gets interrupted (laughs) and just really having that dependency on, on alcohol, that it still conveys very well as mm-hmm. as an adaptation. Yeah, it plays differently in the movie than it does in the book, but there are they there are things about it that you can tell still do come from the source material, albeit portrayed differently and certainly a different animal than the book is, but one that I think still has enough strengths to it to where I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'll that was why I was kind of justifying having it having it on there um it is it is a horror masterpiece it is and it is an example of you could make a very big deviation from the source material and still have it hold up as a classic um and again like i said uh i also kind of justify it in that it's (laughs) it's way better than the miniseries
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think like when I, when I went back and I watched uh, Doug's uh, nostalgia critic video on it, it's the redemption the, the redemption story is the only good part of it because it makes uh, Jack Torrance more of a character more than he was in Kubrick's version. But at the same yeah. time, I think Kubrick knew exactly what Jack Nicholson's strengths were. So that's why his version of Torrance is pretty much just Jack Nicholson mild then Jack Nicholson, extra spicy, just right away. Just make that switch, but you can't bring it back. You can't dial it down. It can only go up. Because I think if you tried to give Jack Nicholson this redemption story to work with, I don't think it would have it would have panned out well. I, I don't think you can...
1: Hmm? That would have been weird.
0: Yeah, it, it would have been... I don't think it would have felt earned. Because he's 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 unredeemable at like the one hour mark
1: Yeah And it also does make the hotel Look a lot A lot more sinister Not that it's not in the other one of course But the fact that like It's seduced this guy so much Who has such a dependency on alcohol Who Mm -hmm. is so obsessed with doing this book That it's pushed him To the point to where There is no going back Which in and of itself is horrific um and did you ever see uh like still shots of the original ending to it um where yes yeah 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 like that's something where i'm like man i hope that gets unearthed sometime um because it's one of those cool things where like uh you, if you saw it, it just means you happened to see that movie at a certain time in New York City before mm-hmm. that scene was cut out of it, where Shelley Duvall's in the hospital and the and the manager, the hotel manager, comes in like, "Let's keep this between us," um, and like gives Danny the tennis ball or something. I'm like, "Yeah, I can see why they cut that."
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: one of the I also think if Shelley Duvall wasn't in it, I know her and Kubrick had a massive problem on set. Mm-hmm. But there's something about Shelley Duvall is she's she could be so angelic, like in her fairy t- in her fairy tale theater series in the '80s. Like she's just she's oh, perfect yeah, yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. But then when you put her in this situation, I could see how she would be so grating on Torrance's nerves <laughs> that he would snap because she's so well-meaning but there's something about too much of Shelley Duvall would just drive you insane.
1: And it is true. Like when you're writing, trust me, uh, when when you're writing and your train of thought is somehow broken by something, anything, it not that you're going to like flip out with an ax or something like that, but like, (laughs) yeah, it can, it could be a bit nerve wracking. (laughs) Like you might need to like crack your knuckles or pace for a little bit.
0: (laughs) I noticed that uh, when I did a video interview with one of our, um, someone we're both familiar with, I'll leave it at that. Uh, When my daughter came into my studio because she just had to see me because she hadn't seen me all day. It's just like for that split second, I'm watching myself on the screen. I just see like that flare of just like, what the hell are you doing in here? And then I just like, <laughs> it's it's just gone because I realized it's my daughter and she just wants to see me. But I can see yeah. how if you're someone with a short fuse, how that just over and over and over again, where you're just feeling like a failure because you can't get something done, would eventually lead to a fallout, regardless even if there was any influence by the by the maliciousness that's embedded in the hotel's walls eventually someone's just gonna snap and you give them some alcohol you give them an annoying fucking wife (laughs) (laughs) i love shelly duvall but there were times in that movie where i really like i'd i'd want to hit her with an axe too jack
1: (laughs) i know i'm like when shelly duvall is so great in that movie like when she goes in because like it's like what you said like she is so earnest in it and like and and definitely trying to be sweet like when she goes in and checks on him when she's writing um and he's got the thing like when you hear typing um it's like i know what he's thinking and it's yeah. like i understand like i do not that like <laughs> if i was typing and someone walk in, it'll be like do whether you don't hear typing whatever the fuck you think you hear like not that I would do something like that but Get it? <laughs> I get it. I do.
0: <laughs> that's gonna happen on your next Brad tries. Laura's just, <laughs> is just just gonna say like every time we try to do this, he just snaps at me because he's just trying to <laughs> eat and trying to get the flavor in his mouth, and I like, somehow distract
1: him. <laughs> like that's fine. Like if it's like a vlog and I'm sitting there like <laughs> talking about food or something like that, that's fine. Like when you're writing and you have this conversation playing out in your head and you have mm-hmm. this total train of thought, like that's all you see. And it's all just pouring out in words, in dialogue. It is like this train of thought that is just going right into the keyboard. And when that's broke,
0: <laughs> I've, I've seen it in stories I've written on like yeah. uh science fiction.com. Like when I was, I was putting together this long article and, First, my daughter would come in, and then my wife would come in, and I could just tell, like, in my writing, where le- like I stopped, it was a good flow, and then all of a sudden, like, the next paragraph is just me just being angry for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> you can just tell that I'm pissed off just by the sentence, like, just the structure of it, or just like I'm suddenly very critical of something for no reason, or I'm just Always. like throw- throwing out an insult that I didn't mean to, like, fuck Disney, like, oh, oh, shit, I better not do that. <laughs>
2: Where
1: the fuck did that come from? (laughs) You know, I'll see it in some of my old work sometime where I'll be like, I can't remember, but was I really mad when I wrote this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is that like, is that more of like your basement videos? Because those seem like, you seem like you're kind of on edge on those.
1: Those were, those I think were more so like, that's just the way YouTube was back then, (laughs) where everyone just wrote their stuff to be shoutier and angrier and thing like that. And now it's more like sarcastic. Sure. But, uh, a less like, uh, less like F this F that, you know, like, so I think that that's just more that that's less that I was like, always mad back then and more that's just the way youtube videos were back then
0: (laughs) everyone had that same template they wanted because that i mean that was the thing that sold that's what brought so many people that you and i both work with now up to the forefront it was that very typical type it doesn't work now but i mean back then that's what everyone kind of wanted just like yeah i'm gonna be angry at like just things that are so fucking trivial
1: yeah, yeah, now you need, like, uh, something extra, you know, like, you know, Substance. I I pl- yeah, like, now I play <laughs> up, I play up more the sarcasm angle of it, to where, mm-hmm. like, it's less, like, just kind of shouting at the movie, I mean, unless it is something that's really bad, but, like, uh, if it's merited, sure, it still works, uh, but now it's played up more, like, um, like you're just kind of having fun watching it and like saying some jokes that aren't dependent really necessarily on being mad at something. It's just kind of just throwing out like a good joke or a good line or being a little bit more, a little bit more analytical, analytical without going to where it's like, okay, now it's just pretentious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think like I, it, you're
0: your stuff's more now a little bit more tongue in cheek with the insults where it's not, it doesn't feel mean spirited. It just feels like, yeah, there are obvious problems with this, this thing that you need to point out, but you don't have to be a dick about it. You can actually be
1: clever. Yeah. Or like kind of writing it as a dumb guy. Like, (laughs) like, uh, I I wish I could think of an example in my head, but like, uh, writing that, like he's complaining about something that's not actually happening in the movie. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: like that, like like playing up that to where it's just sort of like just sort of stupid guy is talking about a movie. <laughs> a so what would happen
0: to Jack stuff? Torrance if he had been a YouTuber? God, <laughs> the why the, the, the internet connection goes out at the uh, the Outlook Hotel right in the middle of like a live stream for like five hours. <laughs> I it intermittently like I... cuts back on and his webcam just captures random bits of violence that he enacts on his wife and child
1: i feel like i could write that like I feel he becomes like I could... the
0: biggest youtube star ever just because he murders yeah. his, his family on camera
1: i feel like i could tell like i'm not saying to be any good or not but i feel like i could write that like <laughs> like I, I i feel like i've reached a point in the stuff I write where it's kind of like, because you know, like with Stephen King where it's like you write what you know and what does Stephen King know? Like being a teacher, being a writer. So there's yeah. a lot of movies and things where somebody is a teacher, somebody is a writer. <laughs> what is? And they're always a mo-
0: horror writer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in my case, it's like, I get that, God, I think I've written three movies now at this point where like the main character has something to do with YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's, this is my thing now. <laughs> I guess I could So another, do another
0: Cinema Snob Movie 2 is on the way now.
1: <laughs> I would do another one of those. Like, I, uh, I want to make it a 3D movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's in a haunted house for some reason. Actually, that's what it, because yeah, I always thought like, if I do a third one, it's going to be in a haunted house and it's going to be in 3D. I kind of like your angle right there where you could like, put some shining shit in there where they're going crazy in this haunted house
0: just because they lack the basic necessities that every millennial has right now
1: yeah so my phone's not working
0: <laughs> i i have seen i have seen some people lose their shit from not having their phone
1: yeah i huh, i could see myself losing my shit without my phone if i was on like a train or Somewhere where like uh, my attention would go a little like bonkers, my like my ADHD would go really bonkers. Because a lot of times in my case, I mean, I'm on a train, like I'm using my phone to where at least I have something to focus on, something to fo- my, focus my eyes on. Um, but you know, actually, with that being said, yeah, I'll just find a magazine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I think I would get that way if I ever if I if i lost like all all of my headphones cuz whenever i go out to a store or anything by myself i'm like i don't want to listen to people i just <laughs> i just want to drown uh, drown everything in just whatever is on my phone and that cuz there's been a couple times where i forgot my headphones and i go like target or something and i'm like god people have the stupidest fucking conversations
2: jesus <laughs> christ why am i
0: then i start to realize like god why am i such an elitist
1: <laughs> yeah
0: like that's why i need the music because it drowns out those those things where i'm like jesus i can kill all these people and it wouldn't even fucking bother me
1: (laughs) i know man i see in my case i I love overhearing shit like that um i've got going to i've gone to see enough religious movies where like i did did so much stuff i overhear in the line and i'm like i wouldn't trade it for anything in the world
0: (laughs) I can, I can only imagine the, the people that take things like God's Not Dead or uh, or Heaven is for Real like actual seriously and have theological debates while watching it in the theater. I would just be like, oh, fuck.
1: Okay, at God's Not Dead, we're in line at concessions. You know how in concessions at the movie theater they have just like the wrappers for the ice cream treats up there, like in the display yeah. thing. So freaking genius behind me uh he's like i don't know maybe 15 or something like 13 15 he he's like uh why do they have the ice cream up there in the display isn't it going to keep melting and they're going to have to keep replacing it like that (laughs) Mm. you're you're definitely at this movie aren't you
0: (laughs) Uh, speaking of of religious uh Seeing religious stuff with, with an audience, when we went to go see the Book of Mormon, uh, in the part of Tampa we saw it in, is it, it's a lot of retirement communities there. So when we went there, there were like maybe 20% of the audience in this packed house were in their 20s to 30s. The rest of them, like 70s to 80s. And most of them did not know what the Book of Mormon was about. And then you could see like that first point where you start getting into the profanity and the and the <laughs> and the and the sexual nature of some of the stuff. And then you just see all these old people just kind of look at each other. And then there's like this point where like five of them all decide to leave at once. And I was like, I wish I could have been sitting next to them just to hear what the hell they said to each other. <laughs> like just like what like where the fuck is Jesus? <laughs> Yeah. I like uh when- there's had to be some cue, like verbal or non, that just like we need to get the fuck out of here before we are smited
1: <laughs> I like what Trey Parker and Matt Stone said that they can tell like who in the audience actually is Mormon or was it at least raised Mormon because they get like the in jokes in it and everything and they're kind of like <laughs> snickering, whispering to each other. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But well, there were actual Mormons at, at our showing, like actually giving out the book. And I was like, wow, that's, I mean, that's at least they're not going around the Florida heat door to door. They could just come to one place and just get all their apostatizing done in, in just like one fell swoop.
1: Yeah, my, my in laws are Mormon and uh, they're fine with that show. They're like, uh, yeah, like, you know, like it, it sort of fills people in on it and everything and <laughs> we can like <laughs> advertise there <laughs> it's not a lie I mean
0: it's pretty fucking yeah.
1: forthright mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah they don't they don't mind it really not that they I don't see my in-laws going to see it but they don't they're not upset by it or anything
0: they're not gonna launch a protest and oh, ruin everybody's yeah. day over it
1: <laughs> yeah, no they're not gonna they're not gonna do that <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: uh Going back to year number one, which is The Shining, uh, what I I think I watched your midnight screenings with Doctor Sleep, but I can't remember what exact you, you made it sound like you were you were quite negative on it. But how when you compared it to a, when you looked at it as a follow up to Kubrick's The Shining, what was your opinion of Doctor Sleep?
1: I mean, uh, I remember at the time thinking like there were inconsistencies in how it was shot Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, it would get to the Overlook and it would do the stuff from the Kubrick one and then suddenly look like a Kubrick movie. But then the rest of it doesn't look like that. Um, And so I remember kind of noted sometimes it would make it hard for me to like accept the two as the same universe because they're both shot so radically different, mm-hmm. but that's something I think I could warm up to upon like, like a rewatch. Cause it, cause I do in thinking back on it, I'm like, yeah, I do appreciate how we got these little like um, Easter eggs and nods and like this sort of love letter to the, to the Kubrick movie and that, and it, it, it did make that a huge, treat whenever that would whenever that would happen in the movie. But sometimes when it looked uh so much like a uh, uh what's his name? Who who directed uh Dr. Sleep?
0: Uh, I cannot remember off the top of my head.
1: Um I uh let me speak of the devil having the phone right next to me. <laughs> um yeah, Doug, Mike Flanagan. I kept wanting to say Mike Madigan, but I'm like, no, that's an Illinois politician. Um, (laughs) uh, Mike Flanagan, when it would look so much like a Mike Flanagan movie, which fine, I like Mike Flanagan, but when it would look so much like something of his, it um, is such a different style than Kubrick, and Kubrick has a very distinct style to where like sometimes it could be hard to buy that it's the same universe, but but other times it would work, it it, it would work totally fine. I like Kubrick's I like Kubrick's The Shining well, a lot better than I like the movie Dr. Sleep, but I do like Dr. <laughs> Sleep. Like, especially retrospectively, I do like Doctor Sleep. And I like that it isn't just simply you see a lot of horror sequels that just do the first one again. In, it, it as far as its story goes and what it does with certain characters and doctor sleep is something that it, it doesn't do that it tells its own story it has its own tone it um it has a story that's wildly different than the one in the shining so i i do appreciate that as a, as a sequel
0: now had had he not gone for the exact same shots or at least try to mirror them there's obvious You could tell with some of the wide angle shots, he just couldn't get the wide enough angle to match the shots he was going for. But if he had foregone all that kind of similarity and just stuck with like the basic stuff, like, yeah, the the outlook still looks the same. It's got the same wallpaper. It's got the same carpeting, but he didn't try to match any of uh, Kubrick's musical stingers or the, uh, the exact framing of a shot. Do you think you would have been a little bit more forgiving of it?
1: Um, no, because then it would have been like, then it definitely wouldn't have felt like it was the same universe as the Shining. <laughs> like, at, le- at least mm-hmm. with ha- having some of that in there, mm-hmm. y- you accept it a little bit more than if it had none. If it had mm-hmm. none, then it'd be like, well, all right, this might as well just tie in with the miniseries, like for all, I, for all that you can tell. Um, but having a little bit of it in there uh can make you accept it a, a, a bit more. Um,
0: there was a there was a massive like missed opportunity with Dr. Sleep was to tie Dick Halloran into the It movie. Because Dick Halloran is a very briefly a character in the original uh it novel uh with Mike Hamlin's father. They're both in the army together. But just, oh, nice. they should have just gone for that, just very random, just very far-reaching connection. <laughs> just to <laughs> just to mention like like Mike Hamlin or Mike Hamlin's father, and just try yeah. to try to make this like very this like threadbare connection to to that other movie. Just just do that and just throw it out there, and then maybe maybe make a, a reference to the mist, or just try to tie it all in together like this really bastardized cinematic universe.
1: <laughs> i do like how uh there's such build up in the subplot with dick halloran in stanley kubrick's the shining and it just shows <laughs> you that death can happen so quick <laughs> it,
0: that never like felt that. like it was planned because it's just like he came all this way and then boom he didn't do jack shit
1: i like that I'm like that's cool because it shows you, yeah, man. like you could just be wasted like that. <laughs> if it
0: were if it were made today, they probably would have had this battle between like psychic Dick Halloran and like this like this overpowered version of Jack Torrance just battling it out in in the hotel, just like a fucking Michael Bay film. that's all I can oh. think of because doing psychic stuff subtly, it just seems like a lost art form. Everything uh, has to be like some kind of big, stupid battle,
1: like a stupid like gut it's battle at the end of Dreamcatcher, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'd be that <laughs>
0: uh, that's- an, that's another film that has a very loose connection to it,
1: oh yeah, um, I was I thought you were about to say, and that's your number one,,
0: <laughs> yeah, and my number one <laughs>
1: <laughs> is Dreamcatcher. <laughs> It was one I was thinking of earlier when you were like, "There's going to be one that's going to piss people off." I was also thinking like, maybe Dreamcatchers on
2: there.
0: <laughs> no, my number one is is actually the very first Stephen King movie I saw, which was um, Creepshow. And nice. I I have such a fondness for them. I shouldn't have watched it when I watched it. I was I think I was four when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Because I was raised in the back of a VHS rental store, so basically daycare was watching whatever the hell I can get my hands on, and yeah. Creepshow was one of those first things. Because when you look at the cover for Creepshow, it it doesn't really give it all away that it's yeah. as as gross as it is in areas. But from all all the cameos, the the attention to detail of trying to nail that. EC Comics, you know, Vault of Horror, Tales from the Crypt. Look, and not giving a shit. Like having the wacky ass, like blue and red lighting out of nowhere. Having the comic panels randomly show up in shots. Just everything about it is silly, but there's such great creature effects, like Fluffy and um, and uh, uh, Nathan from uh, Father's Day, and even yeah. even poor Ted Danson all. All caked up in his in his seaweed hairdo thing from uh, oh yeah the, the one with uh, Leslie Nielsen and there's, there's not a with that huge of a cast there's not a bad performance in it. Adrienne Barbeau gets to be just nasty and just s- slighting her husband at every at every fucking possible opportunity and her getting these the comeuppances is the mm-hmm. ultimate. Thing in almost all the stories Everyone gets their comeuppance And even though it breaks One of the things I love about King Is like not having a happy ending Like honestly Each of those ends with a pretty happy ending Because everyone gets what the fuck they deserve Yeah Like And I I can't wait No one escapes
1: (laughs) No one escapes unharmed in these things And I can't wait to show it to my wife Because she's terrified of bugs Oh (laughs)
0: <laughs> the 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 comic book adaptation, which was also done by uh, by Wrightson, is just captures captures the look so well of just the gross sinewiness of like having bugs burst out of your fucking skin. God, and, and he doesn't try to copy the the EC comics look of it. It's still his own work, but just like. Everything about it just drips with that nostalgia for for those old comics that push those boundaries right before censorship hit so hard in the uh, in the 40s and 50s. And there's something about that's also so timeless, even though there's there's so many hallmarks of the late 70s, early 80s in the film. You could still watch it, and you're not going to be like, oh, why are, why are people using their cell phones? Like, oh, why, why do these people have stupid hairstyles? You're like, yeah. because the actors do such a great job, you forego every possible problem, every gripe that a mid-2000s internet critic would have about it mm-hmm. is is, white, is is washed away. And and, and I think... I it, it, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, what really sucks was... When they followed it up with Creepshow 2, it sucks so hard, except for the raft. The raft <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it doesn't capture, like, the, the fucking short story is gory as hell. Just, like, getting, like, uh, Deke gets sucked between, instead of, like, him crashing through a couple planks, he is slowly digested through the course of a day through this fucking quarter-inch spacing between the planks. And he vomits up blood onto um, onto poncho, and just it's it's gross. But still, the it, it hits almost everything until it gets to that weird rapey point in in that episode. But yeah, the, like I don't, and you just it just sucks so much that they didn't follow it up because that was a great disappointment when I was a kid because I remember my my parents for some reason recorded it for me because it premiered on HBO because it had such a short theater run. And I don't think they they looked at it, looked at like the parental advisory to it. And then when I watched it, I was like, "Oh, there's 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 rape in this. <laughs> I Maybe mean, I shouldn't yeah. be watching this at like eleven years
1: old." <laughs> when I saw the second one as a kid, because I watched the second one not long after I saw the first one for the first time,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: um, I rented them both. And the biggest disappointment that I had with the second one was when the second one ended, I went, wait, that's it? Because the, Mm -hmm. the, the first one had five parts and the second one has three. So when the second one ended after the third, yeah, I remember going like, there's, well, that, I feel like I just watched half a movie. Um, (laughs) like it feels significantly shorter, even though I don't, I mean, it's, it's feature length, but, um, and that first one is not only like consistently good with all of its stories, it also captures a lot of having those magazines then too, down to the little things like getting like make doing the cutout coupons to get like the voodoo (laughs) doll and like x-ray glasses and shit like that. Um, yeah, it really, it really, really does, uh, capture that. And I, I almost put that on mine. The only reason I didn't, because I do, I do like it better than cat's eye. Um, the only reason I didn't was just because the ratio of uh the ratio of what comes from the short stories versus what's original in the movie was mm-hmm. closer in cats in doing a list like this is closer in cats eye than than creep show because I know okay uh in creep show it's like the crate comes from a short story right uh, and I
0: don't I think all of these may have been written specifically for romero to direct i don't think any of them came from a short story because they didn't
1: okay going,
0: okay i was going,
2: thinking i reread
0: uh, yeah i reread like a lot of his short stories recently and i don't remember any of them that bear a resemblance to anything that's in creep show
1: okay let me uh yeah yeah then uh um i was thinking there were at least like maybe one or two but i could be I could be uh, I could have just been on the wrong Wikipedia page.
0: <laughs> I think the best thing I like about Creep Show is Tom Atkins, even though he's got a very small role as the dad in the the outline <laughs> yeah. story. I love Tom Atkins and everything, like Night of the Creeps and. Fucking maniac cop. Just Tom Atkins is always like he's always that dad figure.
2: Yeah. That that
0: cop. He's always that authoritative guy. And just to see him just be a dick and then kind of get his comeuppance in the end was fun. And see him without a mustache is such a such a weird thing.
1: He gets his comeuppance, but good at the end. (laughs) Like, and it's a good setup too, because yeah, he's a bastard. Like he's like that's why God made fathers, dear. And like, uh and the, it's a good build up because the kid sees that skeleton out the window and it's like I hope you rot and hurl and like the voice over it it puts on there yeah we've, we've
0: all had that moment when being uh, punished by our parents where we're just kind of like just overly mad in that kind <laughs> of sense and almost plotting that kind of revenge before we come to our senses but shit that kid fucking didn't <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, that was great. That was that was a great payoff, and that's something that eh, something too that the second one just kind of lacked because the second one doesn't it just have like those little animated bits?
0: Yeah, the oh. the animated parts are kind of funny with that weird like over the top payoff at the end with the giant man eating fly traps. But oh yeah, if they sh- they could have cut like Chief Woodenhead is by far like the worst story in that trio. It's well acted. It's a good story and concept, but it drags on and on and on. And with with things like um, Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror and stuff like that, these stories are meant to be fast-paced. You're meant to get, within like five or six pages, you've come to your conclusion. But drawing something out where it's like a half hour and there's mm-hmm. not really much of a payoff. I mean, yeah, Ch- Chief Woodenhead kills... A few people, but it doesn't feel like there was really anything to it. Yeah, the the owners are still dead. I mean, regardless, Chief Woodenhead's going to end up in a wood chipper anyway. (laughs) (laughs) He did not. He did not save the store. All he did was kill a couple assholes.
1: (laughs) No, no, he's he's actually bought by Jerry Seinfeld to give to a gift for Elaine on that one episode.
0: (laughs) with the bloody scalps and all
1: <laughs> like what a weird crossover <laughs>
0: <laughs> comes to li- comes to life at night and like stalks putty <laughs> <laughs> i would actually pay to see that see see uh oh, yeah. classic old uh patrick in shape patrick warburton duking it out with a fucking wooden indian
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes the <Our> finale <laughs> the finale we should have gotten
0: <laughs> the court scenes just interrupted by a brawl from another genre
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i
0: probably wouldn't have felt so let down
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i still need to show my wife uh creep show sometime because like it was it's one that's uh been requested so it's in mm-hmm. the lineup um and yeah i mainly can't wait just for yeah when we get to the cockroaches because god she's gonna hate